Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph Insights. And this week we've got a special guest with us, Michael Storey of Good Judgment Inc. And this week we're discussing the impact of the Good Judgment Project. So, Michael, um, just starting us off, um, tell us about yourself. Well, uh, so I uh, currently work for Good Judgment Inc., which was the successor to the Good Judgment Project, um, which is something I joined uh, as a grad student. So I was uh, was studying at the NSE, and uh, and somebody uh, forwarded me an email, who forwarded me an email, which uh, was inviting people to participate in a research study looking at uh, political forecasting. I clicked on that email, joined the project, collected a book token as thanks for participating and I just gradually got more and more and more involved uh, in in a project that was trying to investigate how you could make more accurate forecasts about the future uh, and I ended up working there and now it's my full-time job. Okay what was your grad degree in what was it? Public policy research. Okay Nick? Yeah so the reason I've asked uh, Michael to come along is just in the spirit of disclosure we we were both uh, in the Good Judgment Project, and we were both um, in the group that were ended up being called Super Forecasters, who were people who, um, for, for using using a variety of different techniques and approaches, were able to to just produce very accurate forecasts. Um, but anyway, the Good Judgment, the the findings of the Good Judgment Project have been have been pretty well covered. Uh, I mean, you can you know you can Google it. There's a book, Super Forecasting, by uh, Phil Tetlock and Dan Gardner, which you know I highly recommend. Um, but actually, the reason I've uh, got Michael in is because I think. I, I'm interested in, you know, his first-hand experience of trying to get people to to do something about the findings. The findings broadly give us, um, you know, they give us the recipe for being a better forecaster. And now Michael's job involves trying to get people to implement those findings. Um, and, you know, I suppose the question is, what, what impact is it having? Uh, how are people uh, receptive or resistant to the findings? Um, you know, how, how is how's the project to improve the world's forecasting going? <laughs> that's the question you want me to answer oh yeah uh, how's it going <laughs> that's uh, where you okay. come in um, uh. well um uh well uh, so it, yes it's been very interesting so so um so the key uh discovery of the project is that is that forecasting is its own uh specialism right and we should regard that as a kind of independent skill that you can have that's separate to the expertise that you may have about the area that you're forecasting so traditionally uh, most organizations that do forecasting will have people that are regional experts or subject matter experts on different things and they will assume that well if you know lots and lots about say uh, uh, China or contemporary Chinese politics that you will be the the best person to ask to deliver a forecast about what Chinese politics is going to look like next year and you will have obviously some ability to do that uh, but the idea that uh, that there's a kind of separate set of skills that you might need that will help you make that forecast be more accurate and actually that's separate to your specific knowledge about China. Um, that's the bit that the Good Judgment Project was really concerned with is, well, how do you do that bit better? Uh, and what can we say about that? And what we can say is that forecasting is a kind of skill. It's something that everybody can get better at. Everybody can improve. Some people are better at it than others. And it's a kind of independent, a uh, separate component uh, to your subject matter expertise. Well, let me ask some questions. So, um, who who is it for? So, originally, the project was uh, 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 funded by IARPA, which is the Intelligence Advanced Project, uh, 
Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity, which is a is a sort of sister agency to DARPA. So they fund any researchers of interest and value to the intelligence community in for the US. So initially they're looking at obviously that's a, a a big branch of the state bureaucracy that produces forecasts, and so that was the primary interest. Um, we're now. Uh, still have the US government as a client, um, but we're now able to do things outside of that uh, following the conclusion of a kind of exclusivity uh, deal that we had with, with ARPA. So for the last year or so, we've been out, able to go outside of that. So partly that's foreign government. So people, you know, in a similar sort of role who might have interest in doing this a bit better. Um, but it's also corporations, uh, big organizations. Uh, and also we're starting to look at humanitarian uh, organizations as well. So we're building up, we've done a bit of work with um a fantastic organization called Start Network, which is a um, uh, uh, it's a conglomerate made up of contributions from lots of big uh, humanitarian agencies like DFID as part of it, Red Cross, Save the Children, like these big organizations. And they want to get better at forecasting disasters, the responses to disasters, how much they're going to need to, uh, to to build things together. So we started working with them. So it can be we're, we're branching out gradually. So it's it's governments, big organizations, humanitarian stuff, and, and, and then kind of the, eventually the public, hopefully. And so what sort of response have you had to your findings? Um, and also, have you found that people have come to you um, uh, already within, with a kind of a prejudice thinking about what you will already think about them, if that makes sense? Yes. So, so that's been quite interesting. So um, our project got a lot of press, um, particularly last year when the book Super Forecasting came out, which, was a, which kind of had, had quite a big splash. Um, and that created some perceptions um, that were a little bit off uh, compared to what we would we wanted the lessons that we wanted people to learn. So the the big one being that um, that the the crowd component kind of got lost a little bit. So we're saying that if you have lots of analysts doing something, there are systematic ways you can get them to be better forecasters individually. But there are also lots of systematic ways you can aggregate those forecasts to be more accurate. Right. So uh, you can take a simple unweighted average, and that's pretty good. Um, but uh, there are other things you can do about, you know, how you weight the averages and and, and which people you, you pay more attention to and, and things like that. And the balance between those things. So, for example, more recent forecasts you should give higher weight to, even if that person's a bit less reliable because they'll have had you know, more information. Or if that person's got a stronger track record, uh, you can give them a higher weighting generally. And that's a kind of a new a bit of a new finding that if someone's generally good at forecasting they're generally good in all domains so someone who's generally been right on China is more likely to be right on Egypt than perhaps an Egypt expert who's not got such a good track record so those things are very interesting um, both the individual and the collective but the press coverage really focused on two things one was the kind of individual story so they were very very interested in how do I as a as a single person get better at forecasting and the kind of aggregation side got a bit lost which makes sense i mean very few people have access to big banks of analysts and how you you know uh, structure uh, uh, aggregation between analysts is a little bit you know a little bit more of an oblique subject but the other um focus was really on this idea that the super forecasters who were the most accurate individual forecasters from the good judgment project these are people who signed up like i did and like nick did you know for a book token to volunteer to be in a study and, and make forecasts the people who are most accurate and were most accurate across all domains um a lot of the coverage focused on them being like the regular joes that beat the experts so i when i started handling some of the press requests for good judgment they would always say who's the most ordinary super forecaster that's who we want to meet now i understand why that is because of course it's a more interesting story and we do have a few people with odd with odd type of careers and but then that would tend to produce press that that argued well 
you know, experts are all useless, expertise is not valuable, and look, these ordinary people turn out to be to be better than the experts. Uh, and there is a, a really good claim there, right? So um, there's a report which has not been released but was leaked to the Washington Post uh, comparing the performance of Good Judgment Project against uh, aggregated forecasts from the intelligence community in the United States and the Good Judgment Project's forecasts were more accurate, about a 30% reduction in error. That's according to a leaked document. It's not official, but that was in the in the post as a, 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 according to the leak. So there is something about about that right there is this idea that that open source stuff can be useful um but uh, uh the the idea that the super forecasters are themselves not experts like most super forecasters are are very well qualified in things half of the supers have a phd of the remaining uh half half of them have a masters you know I, i'm among the least educated of the of the supers so uh, uh, it's it's not really the case that that, that it's a you know that a lot of them are in the type of things where you expect to find uh, people with who, who know what they're doing Okay, um, Nick, Peter. So the pre- the press perhaps constantly a bit on the individual underdog story uh, and missing some of the key points of the the study. Yeah, definitely. There's a obviously everyone loves an underdog. Everyone loves a maverick. So we we had supers. There's one I think who uh, runs a tractor dealership. There's one who's a, 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 a you know a sports coach. Things like that were like were big were big stories, right? That out of twenty thousand people, you pull out the most accurate hundred and fifty, and it turns out that some of them are kind of in wacky careers that you wouldn't expect to be making very accurate geopolitical forecasts. But they're unusual. Most of the people are exactly who you'd expect to be good at making geopolitical forecasts. I, I think we should probably add that presumably this document uh, comparing performance of professional intelligence analysts and good judgment project people wasn't leaked by the Good Judgment Project or Good Judgment Inc. Presumably it was leaked by somebody in the the, the client organisation. Yes, absolutely should make that clear. <laughs> yes, no, the, the, we don't know where that came from. It ended up in the Washington Post, but we don't know. Favourable though it might have been for the Good Judgment <laughs> Project. Um, I suppose my, I, I, I mean, I should sort of say, uh, if, if people don't know, my background is from the intelligence community. I used to work in defence intelligence. And in fact, uh, one of the reasons I found out about the Good Judgment Project was through, um, I just I, I read an article by Phil Tetlock talking about forecasting at the time that I was running a team whose, whose role was, was to try and um, implement better ways of doing intelligence analysis so it's fantastically relevant as far as i was concerned um and i i found it quite hard to to really to make other people within the intelligence community see the relevance uh i think partly there was there was a um an unwillingness to believe the results i mean that the business model of um intelligence analysis production all the way to the top is entirely based on knowledge on human knowledge you know okay we've got the guy who looks at syria and he's been looking at syria for three years so he's the guy we're going to get to write our intelligence reports and that includes forecasts you know so there's a kind of you can see there's a there's a sort of self-serving element well uh, if this is true we're going to have to change everything about the way we do business um but i wonder if i wonder if that's uh if there's something more fundamental which is that actually you know i i sometimes wonder even though from a decision theory point of view being right about your forecasts is better than being wrong whether actually being right in your forecasts is really what forecasting is about most of the time or whether actually what most organizations want is just to sort of do things and say things and they're not too bothered about being right and i just wondered because you've had that experience with admittedly with people who are coming to see you but whether or not you've you've experienced you know resistance and whether or not actually people really do they really care about getting it right well that's a very interesting question um i think broadly the people that come and see us do care about getting it right 
but they may be at the end of their organization that does care. So a typical first contact for good judgment will be from head of data, head of research, head of whatever. That's normally the title of the person that, that gets in contact. So they do tend to have a, a real interest in forecasting research and they want to they get better. Um, broadly, I think a lot of uh, a lot of senior decision makers do do want to get better. They don't necessarily care how it's done. They're not really that interested and legitimately so, right? They're not interested in the actual mechanics of it. If you, Unless you find the science of forecasting interesting, you just want information that you can act on. And I think that a lot of organizations are pretty receptive, right? If you say, okay, what do you currently have? Well, you have a tree of people who report to each other with all of the biases that are thrown in from individuals, from the relationships that can throw things off. I mean, you know, you've, you've got people telling each other what they want to hear and, and all that sort of stuff going up the chain. And that becomes a written report that says, here's a few reasons why we think this might happen. Here's a few reasons why we think it might not happen. Decision maker, you decide. And we say, well, we can set something up where you can turn that into probabilities that you can be more confident in. And we can say, we think we can rank these scenarios and how likely they are. And, and therefore you can allocate your resources. It just, it speeds up that decision time. And so they tend to be quite receptive, um, but it depends uh, on the organizational structure. And that's another finding of the project that I think has really not been particularly well explored elsewhere is that the the environment in which people make their forecasts, like the architecture, really matters. So one of the key things is the ability, to, for example, to be anonymous. So you want to be uh, graded on how accurate your forecasts are, but you don't necessarily want everyone to know what your particular forecast on a particular topic is. So when you ha- so that avoids this kind of yes man problem. You don't want to be seen to be agreeing with the boss. Uh, so uh, you, but you want at the end of the year, for example, all your forecasts to be treated in aggregate and say, well. Overall, you you were more accurate, but at the time, it may be very difficult for you for kind of internal political reasons to give your real view. So you need to kind of lop off these things that will uh, cause problems. So there's individual level biases, but there's also kind of uh, inv- incentives that might cause you to 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 not reveal your true opinion, and and all of these things can go up the chain. And um, and if we so I know we're talking about forecasting, but forecasting what? What kind of stuff does it concentrate on? So in Good Judgment Project, it was anything that the intelligence community would be forecasting, right? So they wanted to be as close as possible to uh, to what to, to replicate the, you know, what the client is paying for. So it could have been anything. So in it was, you know, is North Korea going to test this missile by this date? Will Ebola spread uh, beyond this, these levels? Bird flu? Anything that, that, that requires the government to act and that they would sort of need to know about to, to, to act on it. Um, we... The, the really fun part of the project was discovering that, that there's a quite a tight correlation between your ability to forecast pretty much anything. So people that are good at bird flu were good at North Korean missiles. So um, so the kind of generalizability of those techniques uh, means that that's that's good news if you're going out to uh, to corporate clients or other organizations and, and, and they've got their own things they want to forecast. Um, the general uh, structure of it though uh, is quite particular like you need to be careful to make sure that you're forecasting something that is uh, where the definition is very clear because if the value is in aggregating the forecast you want to include this diversity of opinion you want to get the disagreements you want to kind of use these variations from the median to to lop off inaccuracies when you're aggregating from a group um what you don't want is for people to be giving different answers to the question because they've interpreted the question differently. So you want to make sure that any disagreement among your analysts who have uh, uh, is down to their having a different 
likely scenario in mind rather than that they've just read the question differently so there are some ways you can get around that uh, uh, but uh, but this is the, the kind of key component so it's not necessarily the subject matter um, but the structure has to, uh, is, is somewhat limited and there are things you can't forecast uh, uh, because of that and uh, oh yeah no I, I think this is actually uh, I think from taking part the most interesting lesson and, and actually something which is very practical uh for for use by organizations like intelligence analysis organizations where they, their job is to try and form true beliefs about the world um was the was the rigor re- relevance trade-off which i think you know is is been talked about but actually is really fundamental um you know what the kinds of things people ask intelligence analysts are you know is is china getting more aggressive um, you know, is is uh, is Iran going to try and be more pro-Western? And and actually, these things uh, it turns out are really really hard to define. Um, and uh, and and but when you try and define something very specific, to, it turns out actually a lot of the time that's not necessarily going to be terribly relevant. You know, will will Iran uh, agree to some you know new um, nuclear uh, treaty or something? Um, and and the other surprising thing I think is how how you can really you can feel like you've nailed a concept down and then some weird edge case will always come along and the famous examples i think it was the example of the of the fatality in the yes. in the south china sea <laughs> where you know it was um uh, it turned out to be a, i think a ship got rammed and a fisherman fell overboard and died or something whereas people were naturally thinking about a um you know a firefight uh and there was also the case about us intervention in syria i think one of the questions um where it, it was really really tight definition of you know not troops being somewhere and uh, fatalities being caused and you know uh, and then it we realized that, that none of that quite captured drone activity you know the use of drones and you think well you know it's really really hard to be specific it's almost like some kind of fundamental level of indeterminacy at the level of definitions um but uh, but i mean that to me says well we need to take that really seriously as an organization actually just being more specific about what you mean is can deliver really big benefits because you're taking away one of the one of the key problems, which is a disagreement about what we mean by conflict or threat. You know, yeah. If you can lock that off, if you can eliminate the, the, the those disagreements, and you start to be able to apply some of those techniques that you get from aggregating a large number of people. So you 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 isolate what the disagreement is about, right? And there are a lot and a lot of the success of the project was about doing that. So it was about trying to uh, uh, to find out sources of disagreement, to share them, to say, okay, if you have uh, you know, a dozen people and two of them think this thing is very likely and some of them don't think it's very likely. Yes, if if they're disagreeing about the meaning of the question, that's not useful. If they're disagreeing because they've got different models and different theories about how they, how they expect things to work in that region or things in that domain to, to function, um, then that, that is useful. You want them to hear those things and, and kind of flush out what the, the, the disagreement is and, and discuss it. I'm interested. How much? So, how much? How well do you think you're you're penetrating this potential market of people who would benefit from uh, the advice and the services that you provide? Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking to Tetlock's earlier book, Expert Political Judgment, where he would talk, he would talk about the pundits, and that's a big market of people who who uh, get away with making pretty shoddy forecasts, uh, and partly because the people, their clients don't care very much because they just want a nice sexy sounding sound sound bite to put on the news um but they but uh, but so many of them were quite resistant actively resistant to this concept that there's something they could get better at because they they're in a they're sitting pretty in a unique position where actually they don't want anyone to challenge the the way they do things yes uh so in terms of our market um 
there aren't very many of us, right? We're a pretty small organization. So we can't say yes to everybody that comes to us, which is a nice um, position to be in, but um, but it's that's just the, the reality, right? Um, so we we tried to pick uh, projects that we feel are, are have a kind of long, you know, where it'd be a long-term relationship and also that it offers uh, 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 some interest and, and, and meets, you know, personal you know, developmental goals, right? Like, uh, uh, there's a there's a very well-known article about Palantir, who you know pr- provide forecasting for the U.S. government. This, I think, this started from the Air Force uh, uh, funded project, um, and they really had trouble retaining staff when they started to expand outside of their traditional uh, background. So they'd hired people out of college, saying, "Well, you, we're going to help try and catch Bin Laden. So would you like to work on that?" And of course, what new graduate isn't going to want to do that? Um, but then you expand and you take on a commercial client and you say, OK, um, you, you know, we want you to try and flog this new brand of supermarket cola. Can you give us some forecasts that are going to be helpful in that? And you don't quite get the same level of commitment from people. And I think from Good Judgment Project's uh, original recruitment of forecasters, that was a really big component, right? That you're helping make this thing better. You're helping the government make better decisions. And there is a real sense of mission there. Uh, and that's still there, right? And people really do still feel that that's important. You want there to be this better process of decision making. You need, you want to feel that that's happening. Um, so there's more interest than we've got. Eventually, of course, we'd like it if everybody adopted those views. I think everybody would, right? We'd all be better off if there was a bit more accurate forecasting around. Sorry, I mean, this might have just been covered, but I just want to get a better sense of this. Has there been a lot of resistance to your findings? Um, it, yes. Uh, well, it, so I divide that. I divide the resistance to the project in, into two groups. One is where they've kind of slightly misinterpreted what the project is saying. So this idea that experts are all idiots and all that sort of stuff. So that's not true. We don't think that. But people who think we think that are resistant to us until they okay. find out we don't. And uh, so, the, yes, and the second part of our, uh, the second part of, of, of resistance to the project has come from people who whose position is perhaps a bit threatened by uh, uh, by this more rigorous approach, right? So the people who really benefit from the status quo uh, of forecasting, which is not very accountable, uh, uh, not very rigorous, are people who are themselves perhaps not, not very accountable, not rigorous, and benefit from that. But in institutional terms, you haven't had any resistance, it sounds like, unless it's to the former. Within an institution, you can have that, right? So so we, I mean, I, I, uh, I was with a colleague and we gave a presentation to a very uh, eminent institution that, that does forecasting. Uh, and we talked about some of the findings and particularly some of the, the um, uh, 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 personality and so on components, right? And we said one of the things we found is that there's no relationship between extroversion, social status, etc., and forecasting accuracy. You can be a shy, retiring, brilliant forecaster or have a gregarious one. Um, and uh, and a very high status person immediately butted in and said, "What are you sure? I mean, because, you know." And so that so somebody in that position who's perhaps blustered their way a little bit, or who or who's a little bit high status mm-hmm. and benefits from being taken very seriously, perhaps without any accountability, is going to be threatened. And there are some good examples of that. Robin Hansen talked about when he tried to apply more rigorous forecasting methods uh, uh, in um, for the um, U.S. Missile Test Agency that that. Uh, test strategic missiles and they had some problems into in integrating some of these uh, t- forecasting techniques into that organization um because it's not very nice if you're a senior a decision maker to find out that the your proposed uh, date by which you're going to complete some task is unlikely to succeed right and your staff are kind of anonymously telling you that they think that's very likely so there, there are individuals within organizations rather than necessarily organizations themselves sounds very leveling your project or yeah um 
look, I've got one question. I'm not going to ask it now, but I've got one question that I want to round things off with. We don't have much time left. Uh, Peter. Yeah, so so it sounds like there's there's competing incentives. So you have the, I'm thinking again of the pundits who who make a living of not being very rigorous, just coming up with the old soundbite versus their customers, perhaps who should who ultimately care more about how accurate those forecasts are because they're making use of those to make decisions. So would you agree that there's there's a a strong to encourage general adoption of the good principle the principles uh, explained by good judgment project there's a role for the customer to demand accountability perhaps even demand a portfolio track record uh, and, in, and not hire those pundits who don't keep a record of how good they are to actually to in, to flip the incentive the right way to get better forecasts yeah and for people to demand better they have to know that it's possible right because most of the time if you request reports or if you go to a consultancy and ask them to do something you won't get back numbers so it's kind of revolutionary like we're so used to it because it's our bread and butter right that we don't even think about the fact that for a very large number of people they commission an analysis of a situation there won't be any numbers in it they'll say well i want to know whether my investment in such and such a country is safe they won't get something back saying we think there's a 60% chance your oil field's going to be nationalised in the next five years, right? They'll say, oh, here's a list of reasons why that could happen. We think it's reasonably likely, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, uh, knowing that there's an alternative is the thing that probably drives it up, right? Once everyone's, you know, it's like in the 80s when nobody had, uh, you know, no one had extra virgin olive oil. But once it's there, if your supermarket doesn't provide it, you go somewhere else. So once you create, you know, you, you create the expectation that it is possible and it should be normal that if you commission something, you get back something you can actually act on, right? You can say, 80% of my planning is going to go on this thing that's 80% likely. Okay, quick question, quick answer. Uh, well, more of an observation, really, which is this is exactly, I mean, <clears throat> this idea of having a way of uh, characterizing where a forecast comes from is is a fantastic gift that the Good Judgment Project has given us. Um, from my direct experience, one of the things that analysts struggle with is being able to justify a forecast you know they want to say well it's you know it's, there's only a 10 percent chance of of you know assad stepping down but they don't have a framework with which to express where that comes from normally it's you know they run it a simulation in their head and and it seems to happen about one in 10 times and that's where 10 percent comes from the great thing about what the, the good judgment project has shown is that you you can break it down into some very simple and intuitive uh, components and say you know there's a there's a base rate here here's what my base rate is based on here are the exceptional circumstances about this Circum this situation, which means that you know the probability is going to be a bit higher, and it gives you a way of justifying that uh, a forecast. So you know you no longer have to rely on your analysts as a black box with a number coming out, or indeed no numbers at all. You can you can see what the provenance of those numbers is, um, and it's you know it's fantastically useful. I mean it's it's a it's a great tool. Okay, well you may have preempted uh, my question there. We don't have an, anything time for anything beyond what Michael is about to say. Um, Let's just go back to the original question. What has been the impact of the Good Judgment Project? So can you answer that question for me, Michael? A big imp Well, the the Vote Leave campaign made everybody who worked on it read a copy of Super Forecasting. So you could, to some extent, we could attribute Brexit to the Good Judgment Project. Pat on the back. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, they were quite keen on that. I, I, I think the, the initial impact of the book um, was was quite strong in the kind of popular sphere. Um, but the uh, it, but in the year since then, there's been a bit more of a um, 
uh, a trickle down of the ideas into institutions. So I think a lot of individuals read the book and thought it was fascinating, got a lot of press coverage. Um, but it's this year that we've started to have more inquiries from institutions. And I think there are a lot of institutions looking at this as some of the kind of flashy bits about experts being useless and so on have kind of dissipated and they've realized okay there are some practical things we can do so lots of institutions are starting to say is there some way that we can more formally improve what we're, we're currently doing and the fact that the that we're still going that we're still producing research and so on and this kind of flash in the pan thing didn't apply to us and, and our and our project is a bit more uh, rigorous and had you know good uh, good statistical power for the answers uh, is um is, is standing in good stead so the the impact broadly has been that people have started to realize forecasting is its own skill and that there are systematic ways to make that better with whoever your your, your staff are it's not about throwing out your 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 experts and it's about using them better quick question i mean you can go off and study um middle east politics for a degree right um is there does it does it already exist where you can do a degree in forecasting I well there are some there are master's programs and things like structured analytics and things like that where part of that is forecasting so just to some extent you sort of can but uh the good judgment project and the and good judgment inks uh current research stuff is is pretty near the the frontier so it'll take a while to to get through I think to uh back through through academia and I suspect that in these political uh focus master's courses there won't be a module on how to do forecasting well it'll just be subject matter subject matter um there won't be the methodolo- methodological part why uh, what what i mean you mean now right yeah now now okay. but perhaps yeah. there perhaps there should be perhaps there yeah. should be more 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 consideration put on methodology sure i mean it sounds like hopefully one of the one of the impacts of the good judgment project it sounds like we can say with a reasonable amount of uh, of um certainty is is better forecasting right that's what's gonna happen one hopes yeah, yeah. <laughs> one hopes better okay. decisions better forecasts more rational behavior by states that'd be nice <laughs> excellent okay i'm gonna wrap it up there um so look thank you very much nick here and peter Coghill of, of aleph insights and uh, thank you especially to our special guest this week to michael story of good judgment inc uh, we've really enjoyed chatting with you so um thank you very much thank you to everyone thanks for listening and until next time bye-bye mm-hmm.